Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. The term burnout in science and experimentation refers to the reduction of fuel or any substance through the use of combustion. And in life, it takes on similar meaning. And the fuel here is our well-being and energy consumed by the work and experiences around us. We hear a lot about burnout in the news and especially in the context of the pandemic that swept across our world with healthcare staff experiencing high levels of stress amplified by staff shortages, lockdowns, and the ongoing nature of the pandemic. In hindsight, I experienced my own version of burnout when I started work as a junior doctor, and my first shifts started on Friday morning at 9am and didn't finish until Monday evening around 5pm, some 80 hours later. That pace and demand did not let up, and the shift work and workload, what was termed a one-in-two, was normalized by all of us as we found whatever coping mechanisms we had to mitigate the sheer exhaustion and fragility that it created. Coping with this, or resilience, is a psychological phenomenon and it's not static. In other words, it waxes and wanes over time, depending on the circumstances you find yourself in. Much like firefighters who are protected by their fire-resistant equipment when they enter an inferno, their resilience is good, but if the pressure and heat persist, their equipment effectiveness will diminish in time. So too does our resilience and capacity to cope with stress. The good news is, resilience is something we can measure, and what you can measure, you can improve with the right treatments. We also know that healthcare staff are more resilient, but that resilience decreases, especially as we have seen with the persistent stress response that has become the norm in healthcare, as we all endure the impact of the pandemic. How do we mitigate these pressures and turn the tide of burnout that has been impacting healthcare workers for many years? Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Penny Sempel, a former attorney, mediator, and a seasoned business and life coach and co-founder and CEO of StressPal, along with Jen Barner, a radiologist and founder and CEO of Doc Working. They've teamed up to launch an integrated approach of continuing education, peer support, and coaching to turn the tide and enhance clinician well-being. Hi, Penny. Hi, Jen. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us, Nick. I'm excited excited to talk about this. This is a, a, a burgeoning subject. It's been amplified by the uh experience of the pandemic but it goes back a long way we're talking burnout and how to deal with burnout but this is an individual problem isn't it well it it's interesting nick how it is both an an individual problem and 
because it is such a pervasive problem, it has become an institutional problem as well. And I'm going to jump in here and and contribute to the concept that we all are aware of the enormous uh, complex factors within healthcare that are driving distress and burnout. And uh, these have been persistent. These have been going on for at least the last 10 decade, uh, much worsened by this pandemic. So, you know, how do we look at the individual piece and the institutional piece is a very big topic. And I hope we jump into it today. So uh, let's do that. How do we um, bring everybody to the table and start talking about this as a, a, a problem that is not just the individual, but actually resonates throughout the institution? And, and aside from getting everybody on the table uh, talking about it, we've also got to solve it. How do we approach this, Penny? Okay, well, I think we first need to start with some fundamental concepts, one, one of which that uh, I think is important for us to remember is that the there is a complex capacity in our brain to change its response to stressors. Uh, we often don't think about that. We think, well, the stress happens, there's all these external factors, uh, they create uh, very adverse there are adverse effects on us. As human beings, we respond, we become worried, angry, uh, we might skip meals, we might engage in all kinds of stress-triggered behaviors, and we think, well, that's just the way we respond. So looking at it from the individual perspective, I think what's really exciting is to look at what we can change, to be able to look at our own stress-triggered behaviors. And, uh, that's the, and, and then that, how does that interface with these external events over which we have very little control? But as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about that as a clinician and, you know, you're both clinicians as this, I go, well, I can recognize that. I can deal with that. Um, is that not the case? Well, it's interesting um, that you say that as a physician, and, and I'm wondering about your experience as a physician, too. Um, I think a lot of us do. We, we are dealing with these symptoms of burnouts and we've internalized it to an extent that often we are not even aware that we're feeling uh, the effects of that. Um, but what we're looking at, at given all of the, the looming statistics of increasing burnout within the healthcare workforce, um, which was already a problem before the pandemic and of course has just been exacerbated by that is to recognize that there are steps that can be taken in terms of preventing burnout and to stopping burnout in its tracks before it gets to a point that it's a crisis uh, for an individual and that institutions can support their healthcare workforce in such a way that it actually can prevent burnout, which ultimately improves retention in, and improves because it improves the culture of the institution. So we're looking at unique systems that can actually provide a lasting effect, you know, much more so than um, a simple weekend workshop or, you know, a short course that you take and then you're done and that that's what you, you know, you walk away and, and that's the end of it. What, what we're interested in promoting and, and we want to uh, make sure that people understand when they're making decisions about how to support their, their healthcare care work 
workers. And um, that can be all the way from the front desk to the, the practicing physicians, um, that they provide a system that can retrain the brain as, as Penny is talking about with beginning with fundamentals that put everyone on the same page, um, the, co the cognitive skills um, that can help someone retrain their brain to interrupt stress responses while they're happening um, and give them flexibility and resiliency, strengthening um, and protection of, of resilience so that they can stay calm in even the most stressful situations and take that skill set to the entire team with ongoing coaching support that will reinforce those skills over time so that that coaching support doesn't actually end. So what we're talking about is a really novel approach to give a lasting, um, a lasting solution to our, our healthcare system in a, in a time when we're, we're really facing a crisis. The, the, ultimate benefit to the organization, of course, is both institutional resiliency and improvement in retention, which is a very costly problem for our healthcare institutions. So you bring up some interesting points and, you know, I, I reconcile that with my history going through clinical training and, you know, reading Gray's Anatomy and, you know, the uh, medicine tomes and deciding that I had every disease on every chapter. Um, but at the same time, you know, importantly, you, you sort of reject that notion and say, well, that can't possibly be me, particularly as you extend through your career. I think that's true. So there's a lack of recognition. But there's the other thing that you point out here, which is this persistency of that stressor response that you talk about, Penny. And, you know, how do we sort of reconcile that and start to manage that process so that we can interrupt it? Is that possible? It feels like it's just a never ending cycle. I think that's a two prong question. And, and one, one, one part of this is, you know, how do we have, does science show that we have that we can harness this high capacity that the brain has for symbolic thought uh, that that is in fact the capacity for symbolic thought that gets us into the stress response but harnessing that we can also learn these cognitive behavioral and physical strategies that help us to change our stress response and to be able to have that uh, control an area of control and and i want to say importantly making choices that are aligned with what we value. So at the at the, the leading intervention strategies that have been well studied in the fields of psychology, psychoneuroimmunology over the last two decades show that there is this uh, very significant capacity, even with brief education, brief training, best you know interactive experiential training, to uh, increase your your brain's capacity to make change to make this change and to make this change aligned with what's important to you. Now, how does the, the other problem of this is that we all we there are these enormous external stressors, and yet in the healthcare setting, it is the individuals within that setting that are the only ones who are going to be able to change that. So I, I come from a conflict resolution background, and uh, how do people from very opposing, hot, sometimes hostile, tense positions, as we know exists in healthcare, with different needs and different uh, directions that they're going through, how do we find that place to, to effectively communicate and collaborate? 
But as we develop our own internal capacity to change our stress response and to be aware of stress-triggered responses in others, we are better able to have those interprofessional communications and collaborations. And this is right where I see these coming, coming together. Uh, so you put education together with this, this support, this peer support, this coaching that's that's there uh, right there in an accessible way and of course we're talking here about you know digital health because we don't have the capacity to provide these services one-on-one -on -one, right there just aren't enough behavioral health therapists out there but we can bring these principles and these teachings into a into a format into a uh, to make it accessible so I, you bring up an interesting point there relative to the, the, uh, the length of time. You talk about that you can do this with short interventions. What does that mean? What is a short intervention that, that's effective based on the science? Uh, based on the science, uh, the different uh, studies are looking at um, a period between four to six weeks, I think maybe some four to eight weeks, uh, no more than it, less than an hour, even a week. So brief, uh, even a couple of um, minutes of, of information that you then personalize and you practice, you just reflect on in your day, you're provided with, with uh, you, you layer that. So this is brain-based learning is how we learn to change any habit, little bits over not that uh, brief period of time, uh, you know, for, for, you know, like four to eight weeks, something in that period. But then of course you want ongoing support, right? You want to refresh yourself to be reminded. And that's where this, as Jen is talking about a across the enterprise approaches, you want to be looking for uh, <clears throat> intervention tools or programs that provide that ability for the cohorts to reinforce among each other, to be able to have conversations and remind each other and support each other around these uh, subtle but very powerful changes that we can that we can make. But that's all great. I hear that. And I, I, I go, well, that doesn't seem like a long time. But my experience with medical students that's been very personal for me as I tried to sort of navigate that and, you know, to your points here, this is not about sort of treating it. This is actually prevention. When I tried to introduce that in a, a, a medical student setting, I was told not a chance. I, ha I, I don't have enough time for that. How do we go about approaching this to get this so that it becomes prevention and actually bro more broadly rolled out? I think it's beyond just the clinicians at this point. I think that's a great, great point because um, every physician I feel, I feel like, you know, that I've spoken with over the past several years has said, you know, I need this, I want this, but I don't have time for it. And that's one thing that I think is critical is that, you know, to, to have a system, which is, is what, you know, what we're talking about is a system that is designed specifically to accommodate that type of schedule where you're talking about already coming in with a sense of overwhelm and feeling like, okay, I can spend five minutes on this <laughs> this week. And there's some relief in that idea to know that number one, there's not a deadline. You can do this on your own time. You can come in and spend five minutes, one minute of which you know, you might go over to that community platform where you're interacting with coaching, uh, a, a coaching team, as well as peers in your profession. So physician to physician across the country or 
PAs and nurse practitioners in their own group across the country, similar with medical students and other, the whole care team for, uh, for nurses and techs. So when you're knowing that even with your time constraints, you can come in and make a difference for yourself simply by starting with five minutes a week, um, it, it, we've prepared, you know, it, it's important and it makes it approachable and leads to long-term solutions to be able to come in and have really small bite-sized um, pieces that you can take a little bit at a time. And as you get going, you can potentially increase that if you choose to. Um, but the idea of the ongoing support is to accommodate a, a long a long-term learning process that doesn't have to happen overnight. Um, but once it happens, it's it's more of a permanent process. And the other thing that I think is is really important that Penny mentioned or or alluded to was just the the idea of the individual being able to direct their own burnout prevention and protect their resilience because we already know healthcare workers are more resilient than the average population. So what can we do to strengthen that resilience for individuals? And in doing that, you know, it, it's not putting the responsibility of the problems of the whole system on the individual. What it does is it's designed to empower the individual so that they can then affect the change that's needed in the whole culture overall, because we do have a number of, you know, obviously systemic problems in the healthcare culture. So by by protecting individuals in this kind of way and supporting them so that they can feel purpose in coming to work every day and, and leave behind the, the sense of overwhelm and be in control of recognize what they can control and be in control of their own lives, that empowers them to then come around and be at the table to affect change for the whole system. I, I think that's fantastic, you know, and it, it's a, a an older dodge, but, you know, every journey begins with one small step. It doesn't matter, you know, how small that step is. Um, you, you, you talked a little bit about um, uh, the, the extension and the supporting infrastructure within the community, um, despite the fact that healthcare is more resilient, which to me is interesting in its own right. I don't think we've got time to sort of dive into that. We still struggle with that and we struggle with conflict resolution. How do we approach that to satisfy everybody and get everybody at the table in a way that moves us in the same direction as opposed to what seems to be happening as people are sort of, you know, falling across into this binary or, you know, further diversification of, of views. I'm going to jump in here. I think that leading uh, further here in the conversation, one phrase comes to mind, protected time. If we, if organizations see as a priority that they are providing protected time, a little bit of time, maybe every day, five, 10 minutes every day for their teams. I'm not 
the across the enterprise that this is valued and important and part of the culture of the organization and that everyone in the organization knows that they're taking that time for themselves is valued by the organization and and on the bottom line for the organization this is going to reap a very good return on their investment because uh, attrition is a serious problem if, if people feel protected if they feel that they're given time meaningful time for themselves and they're given valuable uh, tools and ed educational tools, coaching support, peer support. These are some of the key elements that research has shown are very valuable to individuals to rebuild their relationships, to defuse tension, to de-escalate the stress response. These are all well-studied methodology and they can be brought together and that's a very exciting piece that uh, Jen and I have independently been working on is how we bring together these science-based approaches that we know help diffuse distress and, and, and build resilience. I, you know, such an important point and for me it's amplified by you get what you incent and I would go actually a step further and say this is not just protected time. Why is this not a, an actual target for organizations for them to say, we expect this and we're going to measure it and we want to see in the same way that we measure productivity? Because as you talk, uh, Jen, you, you mentioned that whilst there's a cost and I sort of struggle with who's going to pay for it, it actually potentially has value because you're going to improve your workforce get better productivity potentially, and you're, you're gonna retain staff that, uh, if we believe the press, they're all leaving. So you're struggling with that. Is that the case? Yeah, so it it is the case and it it's, there are regulatory benefits to providing these programs as well. So the regulation, you know, regulatory benefit, in addition to uh, the retention benefit of holding on to employees, 39% um, of, of physicians polled recently reported a, a lack of respect from administrators and employers and colleagues as being a major contributor to their burnout. And that um, type of supportive atmosphere can contradict that and help physicians to feel less burnout and want to stay with an organization. So putting these types of systems into place does pay for itself um, in terms of, you know, decreasing the extremely high cost of uh, losing healthcare professionals. And in the current environment and, and what's coming, as, as 25 to 30% of physicians are reporting considering leaving the, the profession altogether, and 54% of them are reporting planning to change jobs, um, those, those statistics are stunning. And so the, the healthcare organizations that are providing this type of ongoing support, I think are gonna be the ones who succeed in an environment of shortage of healthcare workers that's coming. Well, so the good news is that we have solutions. We've got essentially tools that are able for us, not just as a, a post treatment but actually a prevention they can help solve the problem there is no better employee uh, or you know higher than the person that stays with an organization it's very costly to sort of re uh, retrain bring people in um, I, I would suggest that the incentives need to be built in not just making time as you rightly point out penny but you know actually 
building in an incentive program. And I'll close with saying that this whole conflict resolution doesn't seem to be just for healthcare. I think we need this worldwide, quite frankly. So maybe this isn't just healthcare, but we should start there. Um, thank you both for joining me uh, on the show today. It's a pleasure thank to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Really enjoyed talking with you. Solving for burnout is not just an individual problem, but is rather an institutional and perhaps even a societal problem that requires everyone to be engaged in fixing it. It requires an institutional response that not only creates protected times, but creates corporate and broader incentives that measure and reward improvements in resilience in their staff. The cost of solutions pay for themselves when you consider the large swathes of people who are considering leaving or worse have already left. If you're looking for an ROI for investing in a resilience program, look no further than the savings accrued from not only keeping staff in their roles, but making them happier and as a direct consequence, more productive. Your better pill to swallow is to create a preventative resilience program to diffuse the widespread distress and burnout but go one step further and seek to create more resilience before those problems even arise. Every journey starts with a single step, and that could be a small amount of protected time for your community to engage in programs that retrain the brain towards resilience. But you can and should go further by developing beyond and allowing and moving to incentivize the resilience, not just for the clinical staff, but for every member and contributor to the team. Your clinicians will thank you, as will your staff and patients, and that program extends to everyone, including you. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare, as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.